Hey there, listeners. This is Mac Christian with the National Land Realty Podcast. Now, before we jump in here, I have a request for you. The request is simple. If you find value in the content that we're producing about land, please make sure to leave a review about the podcast and rate it. If you're enjoying the topics that we cover, your review is going to help other people find that same content. You know, unless it's a one-star review and you only have terrible things to say, but even then, maybe we'll get some entertainment value out of it. Thank you again for listening. Let's get to it. Welcome to part two of episode 13 of the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty. I'll be your host for this episode. Today's episode will cover agricultural land from the perspective of buying or selling, as well as current market conditions for agricultural land. Our guest, Ryan Schroeder, is a land professional from Omaha, Nebraska, and he has decades of experience in land real estate and a lifetime of agricultural knowledge. Ryan has been hunting, fishing, and farming since he could walk. He's an accredited land consultant through the Realtors Land Institute, and his focus is on agricultural land sales. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. And I think that's a good demonstration of it does take a very specific skill set to walk in and be able to work with ag land and be able to properly assess it, evaluate, sell it for somebody. Well, and, and, you know, and the other thing, too, is, is if you're there on the property with the with the owner and, you know, let's say we're looking at the northeast corner and you're like, OK, why is this northeast corner? Why is there three acres not planted here? Well, it's always wet. You know, we will bury our equipment in there all the time. Well, have you ever thought about tiling that? You know, and you start getting in those interesting questions of, of, you know, why did I do that or not do that? And then he's like, well, you know, the cost of it, you know, you're just like, you know, for $3 a, a linear foot, you could probably have that tiled. And now you're farming hundred percent of your farm. You know, you're not only, you're not farming, you know, 87% of your farm or 97% of your farm, whatever the case may be. And so just having that knowledge of what some of this stuff costs, and then it just comes down to dollar and cents. If I'm putting this extra money into it, if I'm going to tile this, now I pick up three more acres. Now I'm making, you know, X amount more per acre. So, so sometimes a dollar and cents side of things where maybe they looked at it, maybe they didn't. And having that knowledge, I think that was what helps helps most in the in the agricultural industry. And that's and those are those are situations where you can go in as a land professional and sort of give consultation to maximize the value of the land before you put it up to sale. Like go through tile this first because you'll collect ROI. Maybe it doesn't come through in the first year. Maybe it comes through in the second year. But you eventually collect ROI on that on that added acreage. And now you've boosted the value of the sale, right? 
Right. And in that that scenario there, that'll happen with a lot of people, let's say, just inherited something or if they are just renting it out and they haven't been on the property for a while. But once ago, it goes back to my previous statement. If if that is an individual that is an owner operator of that quarter, the odds are they have done it or there's a reason why they have not done it. I was in, is there, do you ever encounter situations where, you know, it's just a quirky farmer and they just have some weird practices and you have to kind of like, okay, well, we're going to need to do this first. Um, yes and no, but usually in those cases, we will look at what it will cost to cure. Um, I don't want to say it's a problem, but what you're, what you're, what I try to do is going in there and paint this scenario and say, okay, Mr. Seller. I'm going to look at it as I'm the buyer. You want $8,000 an acre for this. I'm going to have to put in, let's say, $1,000 an acre. So therefore, my offer is going to justify $7,000 an acre. Uh, so we, we talk about that kind of aspect and the, the buyer set of mind when he comes in there and he looks at it. So therefore, we're going to try to price it accordingly at or around the $7,000 mark uh, and just trying to paint a realistic picture of what some of the buyers are going to look at and, and what some of the things that, that we may see during the marketing period of, of your farm. That's such a, it, it, I, it's the first time I've heard that kind of approach. And I think it's mostly because a lot of the conversations that we've had are, you know, hunting land and it's hard to quantify, you know, something within hunting land. You can talk about, you know, the production of that land or how it's structured but when you take something when you take something and put it down to dollar value and you put yourself in say the buyer's shoes it takes out a lot of that sort of the the attachment to the land because i know that anybody that works land becomes you know emotionally attached to it you know mentally attached there there's this attachment to it and it's hard to shift your it's hard to shift your approach it's hard to make a change to something that you're attached to and so when you break it down to just simply ROI, just simply numbers, it sort of takes that discussion out, right? Yeah, you do. And, and don't want to sound like, you know, you're kind of cold hearted. And I mean, yeah, yeah. I want my owners of the property to be emotionally attached, for, attached to it. I want them to think this is the best thing since sliced bread or I have the best, you know, quarter in the county. Uh, you know, that's great. And that's that goes back to my previous statement. You know, that's their baby. I do not want to go in there and call their baby ugly. Right. But if there's something right. there that they're kind of overlooking, you know, I want them to say, I want them to, to have, uh, I want them to, gosh, how can I say that? You know, I, I want them to have the expectations of coming up front of, okay, the buyers, they are dollar and cents driven. They're, they, it's, it's not going to be an emotional purchase. Mm -hmm. um, it, it may be an emotional purchase. If, if I'm the neighboring guy, I want it, you know, th that that'll be kind of an emotional purchase, but outside of that, it's all dollar and cents. So the emotion is taken out of it. So yes, you kind of have to sit there and be a robot to them and say, all right, I see the value, but then I also see this, the cost of cure is going to be that. So we're going to subtract that from, you know, what we think it, it, it is worth. Um, you know, and I'm not going to sit here and say I know it all. Uh, I've been off the mark a couple times, uh, been very few times, but uh, <laughs> it, it happens. So, well, and it's it's funny because you say that you have to go into a robot mode, 
you know, to, to kind of relay those numbers and you have to get kind of robotic about it. But at the same time, when I'm listening to you talk about working with clients, it's obvious that you care because you put your words very carefully on how you regard them and you don't want to upset them. So you do work this balance between you have to talk to them about the numbers, but it's also obvious that you care about the people that you work with. So it's, there's, there's sort of a, a dichotomy there that you have to. Well, yeah, but you also, you're probably in their truck looking at the, at the farm and it may be a couple miles away from your truck. I don't want to be kicked out of the truck and tell me to walk home. So yeah, you do have to be careful. <laughs> yeah. If you're out to on the property, you don't want to be put on your own devices and have to walk home. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, let's let's flip the script a little bit. If you're if you're walking in as a buyer and you're looking at a piece of agricultural land, what are the first things you want to look at? You know, I usually ask if, if it's owner operated and then if it's if it is uh, leased out. Uh, the, the biggest thing is if it's leased out, you want to look at that lease. You want to look at the terms of that lease. You want to see what the owner has, what the tenant has. Uh, sometimes irrigation equipment is divided from the land or separated from the land. Uh, you know, there's, there's just different cases. Each, each, each one is different, has their own unique, uh, cases in, in the, within the lease. Um, you know, the terms of the lease, the price of the lease, uh, you know, you want to see what the owner takes care of, what the tenant takes care of. Um, you know, has it, and then, and then you just kind of go look at the property itself and then you just look, has it been maintained as far as the land, you know, simple things, the road ditch has been, uh, as I have the road benches, ditch has been mowed, um, you know, simple and weed control is a big thing on, on either one of the farms, whether it's irrigated, dry land, pasture, uh, you know, pastures have been overgrazed or the fence is good. Do we have good watering? Um, you know, there's a lot of different facets to look at when you're when you are when you are when you are on a property when you are. God, well, that sounds terrible. Uh, when you when you when you're reviewing when you're viewing a property, you know whether whether it's your listing, whether it's another company's listing, those are those are some things you just you, you need to look at. So, I mean, fundamentally, there's a lot to look into that. Are most buyers prepared to look at those things or are those things that you really kind of help them out with through the process? Well, that is kind of a two-sided question in itself. You know, if I've got an investor that is maybe getting into land for the first time, you, you do have to hold their hand and say, okay, if I was buying it, these are the things I would look at and these are the things that I would do. If it is a local guy, he may know that property better than you. And he just wants to you know, look at it, you know, and, and just go through the, the process of looking at it um, because he's, you know, if he's local, he's probably driven by it. He knows when the guy waters, he knows when he puts his fertilizer on, he knows when he puts his uh, weed control chemicals, so on and so forth on. He probably even knows the seed corn number that he put on that year. So it's, you know, some of the, the local guys, they'll, they'll have, they'll be, probably honestly no more than I would. You know, that is a funny point to bring up about agriculture in general, because I, I grew up in a ranching area and you'll hear 
you hear one rancher talking like, did you see that Jack already put his cattle in the winter grounds? Like, can you believe he did it that this early or, or you know, they're always kind of critiquing each other and they know exactly mm-hmm. what schedules each other is on and like where they're getting their grain and what they're doing. It's, it's really funny that they all, you're right. The, the local knowledge will probably surpass anybody else's, but well, it, and it, and it is typically a, 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 a tight knit community. It is. You know? Yeah, it really is. I mean, I hate to say it, but there are going to be there are less and less farmers every year. So that community is getting smaller and smaller. Um, I, I would love to see more younger guys be out there buying and thriving. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it'd be it'd be tough. It'd be tough for me to say, OK, I'm going to quit real estate. Now I'm going to go out and buy a farm and I'm going to be a farmer. I honestly, you know, it'd be tough. It'd be a tough go. The entry to that is, well, and you, you brought up the point of investors coming in from, you know, out of the area, maybe maybe a first-time investor in land. And, and it seems like there's a lot of, there's a lot of risk in that one in operationally how to run it, but two, in terms of where you're talking about how you'll walk them through and say, I would look at this if I were looking at this land. If they if they worked with a land professional that maybe was a little more transactional, maybe didn't care as much sort of about the best interest of their client and just wanted to make the sale, somebody could end up in a bad situation pretty fast, right? They could. And we've seen some times where an individual just was, hey, that's a good price breaker. I'm going to buy it. And then all of a sudden it had some goofy grassland easement on it that was next to near impossible to get off. And uh, then the guy couldn't even give it away after he bought it. So those are some of the things that you want to research, you know, before you buy. Um, but, you know, as far as, as as a first time land investor, you know, if you have 30 percent to put down of the purchase price, you know, we have landline lending that would funding source that will help you out. Um, we also offer, you know, farm management in, in, in that regards. So really, if you want to buy it, lease it out, get a return because it is an income producing property. And also it's, it's land, farmland, agricultural land. It's a long-term hold. But when you decide to sell it, a lot of the times after the sale, your percentage will outweigh the stock market. That's excellent to note. And, and you, you brought up two different types of sales. You brought up uh, a lease or owner uh operated right and and just to just to clarify what we're talking about there is owner operated or am i getting that right owner yeah if you if you have an owner operated operated. farm so that is part of their operation yeah that is part of their operation you know they they have a thousand acres and and they're farming all thousand and now they want to sell a hundred of it uh you know to go down to 900 acres uh yeah owner operator those guys will be um, they'll, like I said, they'll, they'll know a lot more about their dirt than I will, but then there's also, you know, an absentee landowner is what we'll typically call them. Right. And, and they will, they will basically lease it out and, and how they acquired the land is, you know, inheritance or they bought it, you know, as an investment. And, uh, so yeah, and then that's, that's where I was getting into where we really want to dive into that lease and see, see basically what it all has within the lease. And there's a couple of different ways to run that from a buyer's perspective, right? To where you buy from an owner owner operator, you're buying something essentially that you will run yourself. 
but you could also lease it out. But if you buy a lease, then it's already set up with a leasee on board. And, you know, your options at that point are to let them continue their contract or you're giving them the boot. And that could be a sticky process as well. And you have to know how to negotiate that. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is, is, I mean, you know, you never want to go buy a farm and kick off the tenant that's on there. Um, it, it's almost virtually impossible to do that unless you buy them out, basically, uh, their inputs and what they think that they're going to make that year. Uh, but but typically, if you if you buy it mid season, you know, we're, we're in the summer months now, let's say let's say you buy on a, on a farm. If there's already a tenant on there mid season. Yes, you have to let that tenant stay there for the term of that lease. Or if it's a verbal lease, you have to let them stay there until the first of March. Uh, but the thing is, is to remember is do notice you have to serve that tenant. Do notice September 1st or on or before September 1st. Uh, if they don't, then they have rights to it the following year. So talk to me about some red flags, like in, in buyer or seller, right? Either side. If you're if you're a seller, then your red flags are going to be sort of in your interactions with a potential buyer as they're kind of going through the process. But with with a with a buyer, as you're looking at land, you know, there's got to be some red flags there that tell you, like, don't don't even look at this land any further. You know, what 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 would those red flags be if you were looking at a transaction like that? Well, I don't know. I, I, I don't really think in the agricultural aspect of things that there are red flags. I, that one kind of stumped me here, Mac. <laughs> That's why I do. Because I was I was thinking in terms of like if you didn't fully understand water rights or if they or if you were looking at purchasing land from an owner and and, you know, they maybe didn't have great access to water rights. But I guess that, you know, you would be able to tell that just by the yeah. yield of the of the property because the red flag would be a low yield. Right. Well, yes and no. But then, you know, water rights, um, you know, typically Nebraska water rights transfer. Well, easterly half of the state, you know, water rights typically transfer with the with the land. They usually don't get severed. Uh, but. You know, you bring up access, but usually, you know, one of the things is if you're looking at the aerial map for the first time and you say, how do I get to this field or how do I get to a portion of that field? You know, usually when you're sitting there having that discussion of listing it, you know, we have that discussion of access. How do I get there? Oh, I go around the section. I come in on the neighbors. Okay, now is that do you have an ingress or easement for that northern part that you're accessing through the neighbors? Well, no, it's kind of a gentleman's agreement. Well, th those are one of the things we got to work out. We try to work out prior to even listing it. And if it, you know, if we don't get it worked out, then that's going to affect the price. Um, yeah, no, I mean, sometimes, sometimes the red flag is the price itself for, for the land. Yeah. I was, I was thinking too, is easements and access, depending on like what you can access also what's granted to your neighbors as far as access you know, and whether it is those gentlemen's agreements, it seems like whenever we're talking a land transfer, those are those are really, really big deals as far as are there are there handshake agreements in place? Because a lot of those will take place 50 years ago. Two guys shook hands and now, you know, one guy has rights to drive through land, but he doesn't have a contractual right. So he could lose right. that access if the land sells. You know, those are all things that I, I think those are those seem like pretty clear, you know, you have to con consider those things, but it seems like also that if you just go through the process, you're going to find them. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's part of doing the homework on it when it, prior to listing it, you know, hopefully those are some of the questions that get asked or get answered uh, prior to, I mean, we, we all hate having surprises, but you know, there are times where you overlook something and, and you get a little surprise. Um, so what would, what would make somebody want to jump into this, you know, in the first place, what, what would make somebody want to, like, you're talking about the investor situation. What's, what's sort of the, the benefits of jumping in and owning ag land? Well, I mean, it, it really, the first thing that came to mind is they're not making any more of it. Um, diverse portfolio, big time. Uh, if you got all your mar- your money in the stock market, you know, that's, that's just one aspect that you really can't control. Um, you know, investing in land, yeah, there's there's things you can control and not control. But uh, the, the reason I like land versus even let's 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 take land and you look at a, an apartment unit. Um, there's always a vacancy ratio when you when you're talking apartments and renting out rentals for passive income. Uh, farm ground there isn't a vacancy ratio. There's always somebody that wants to rent it or in good times, they want to pay more than what the current renter is. Um, that's, that's what's, that's the main reason I, I really like land it. There's, there's always somebody there that wants it. Um, you know, and it, and it could be, it could be an a plus 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 farm. And, uh, you know, it's going to be the, the best one in the County. You know, everybody's going to want that. There, there could be a very marginable farm there and there, you know, someone's going to want it. You know, it's there, there's always that need. And there's, and like you said, there's always that need for food. Everybody needs that. Whether, whether we're using the corn and beans to feed the cattle, somehow that's going to, that's going to, you know, incorporate it on your table at some point. Right. And then, and then, as far as transactionally, when you when you work with a lot of these these sort of transactions, are do you work a lot? Is there's there's loan assistance programs, there's straight cash buys, but there's also ten thirty ones and DSTs. Um, do do you work a lot with those, and, and do you see those as viable instruments for for picking up ag land? Yes, um, you know, gosh, I would say over ninety percent of our land transactions deal with a 1031 of some sort, whether it's a regular 1031 where you sell first, buy second, or it's a reverse 1031 where you buy first and then sell uh, an allocated property after the fact. Um, That one's a little bit more difficult. Anything when it says reversed and involves any kind of purchase or investment is usually a little more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those can get a little hairy every now and then. Uh, And then the timeframes on a reverse, they're the same timeframes, but those timeframes seem to sneak up a lot quicker than, than a standard 1031. Um, And the DSTs, you know, DSTs is a very good um, uh, instrument that we have at our disposal to, for the sellers, because a lot of the times I'll, I'll have that conversation with the seller. They're, they're like, we would really like to sell our ground, but in, in especially in this type of environment that we're in, they're like, we really would want to sell it, but yet we, we don't know what to do with the proceeds. And we don't want to pay Uncle Sam the capital gains tax on our farms. 
Well, there is an instrument called a DST, Delaware Statutory Trust. Now, in order, I'm not licensed in securities. You have to have a securities license to do the DSTs, but it's an instrument for, for that seller to sell their dirt, take those proceeds and move them into a DST. And maybe this is a, a different topic that we could have at a different time where we yeah, have a yeah. securities person here that could talk, take it over from there because I, I really don't want to... Um, I don't really want to go any much further than that with a DST. Yeah, no, it makes sense. You know, I don't want to expose anybody to liability and I'm not licensed either. So I'm not going to, you know, venture into that territory myself. Um, yeah. So what I wanted to ask too is, is, you know, we've covered a lot of, of a lot of territory. I wanted to, I wanted to make sure to give sort of blanket coverage to agricultural land because i think there's deep dives that we can do all over the place as far as agriculture um and i, and I would like to do that sometime but what i wanted to do is sort of give like a 101 level of of you know where you're working what you're working with and the types of buyers and sellers you're working with and and you know what buyers and sellers should be looking for it, you know the fundamentals um but sort of it, i wanted to ask if there was anything that you would add sort of to to the equation as far as what we discussed so far I, I don't really know. <laughs> well, and I do that to put you on the spot because I didn't prep you with anything on that. And I, I kind of hit you out of the blue, but I, I wanted to see if there's anything else that you wanted to sort of bring up. Um, well, I, the one thing I probably would add probably in closure, you know, uh, when uh, buying, selling, leasing, management of your farms in uh, Iowa, Nebraska, you probably need to call National Land. Ryan Schroeder should be your first phone call. I would agree. I would agree. You know your stuff, man. Um, see, I, I ask you those questions and then you're, you're telling me that you don't have any words of wisdom and then you drop these nuggets of wisdom immediately afterwards. So it's it's uh, you have them for sure. Um, Sometimes it takes a while for my brain to reboot. Oh, man. I Yeah. It takes me a pot of coffee to just boot up the first time. Um, <laughs> so, hey, uh Man, I, I want to thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I know that uh, you're definitely always on the go. So absolutely thank you for your time. How does somebody find you if they're, uh, if they're in Nebraska and they're looking at land? Uh, the easiest way is to go to our website, nationalland.com, look up uh, Nebraska. We've got uh, agents throughout Nebraska and throughout Iowa. Um, really, that's the best place to start. Um, but really, when it comes to agricultural land, yeah, give me a call. 402-699-4250. Excellent. I'll have that in the uh, in the podcast notes and uh, have your link in there as well. Perfect. Excellent. Ryan, thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. Mac, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. This concludes part two of episode number 13 for the National Land Realty podcast, discussing agricultural land with Nebraska land professional Ryan Schroeder. You can learn more about land ownership and the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com. Hey there, listener. I noticed that you're still hanging out, probably listening to the music. But uh, what I wanted to do was remind you to check out our Land Tour 360s at nationalland.com. These... These land tours are innovative, interesting, and nobody else in the industry does this. 
Check out our site, look for any listing that has Land Tour 360 featured on it. You can tour our listings in three dimensions, zoom in, get a ground's eye view, watch videos from the ground, zoom back out, look at things from the sky view, then zoom back in on properties that have 3D views of, of the houses that are on the properties. This is called a Matterport viewing. It's a 3D viewing system for, for housing. Check out Land Tour 360. It should blow you away. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.